Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we are discussing APS-C versus full-frame camera sensors. It's going to be a good one. But first, it's, I think- It's a showdown. It's a big debate. This is this is the debate of the century. Basically. There's nothing oh, pro- bigger. Okay, pr- probably not the century because you didn't have APS-C- or full frame. Well, you had full frame like 35 millimeter film. But you didn't have the sensors. And then we we didn't even have mirrorless sensors until recently. Okay, so well, maybe it's the debate of the past 10 years and the next 10 years. Could we say that? It's the debate of today. That's what we'll say. Well, that is... All right, so this is only applicable on the day, you know, that we're putting it out. And then afterwards, people might as well not listen to this podcast. No, they just have to listen to it every single day. That's it. Okay, so today, as in whenever people are listening to it, it's the debate oh, yeah. of... Oh, yeah. That's this, correct. This is very confusing. It's the debate so. for us for this podcast episode. But first, we do have some quick news of some other things that are going around. Uh, not quite as big as APS-C versus full frame, but I think still worth mentioning. Dave, I love that intro. I keep forgetting we have it. I'm so used to our old intro where we just say it, but... Hey, props to you. That was well done. Gabe, what do we have first well, up? Let me, let me hit you with another intro first. Hey, it's Corona time right now. It's Corona yeah, time. I'm sorry to be, you know, the bearer of bad news and continuing it's likely uh, the news that you've been hearing all week. But yes, the coronavirus is a thing. We're doing a very quick segment on it right now in our quick news because we don't want to, you know, we want to offer a, an escape from reality kind of a little bit in this podcast. So couple quick news things about the coronavirus concerning tech. First off, WWDC is going to be moved to online uh, in June this year. That's Apple's conference. Uh, and also they did cancel or, or close all their stores around the world. So uh, except for China, if you're in China, you can still go to Apple stores. But otherwise, all Apple stores are going to be closed. Nike stores are closed, too, until I think March 27th. So a lot of stores closures. Cancellation of events has continued as well for tech conferences we had nab canceled we had e3 canceled and furthermore as tech companies are pushing you know for their employees to work at home you know and not have to come into work and possibly spread the coronavirus we had a novel idea by facebook who is offering to give away free portal video chat devices to their employees who request them Uh, yep and I'm a, this is a horrible thing. Why would Facebook want to curse their employees with a portal device? All four portal devices that they made are going to be given away. I don't know. I mean, employees. it kind of makes sense. Clearly, they're not selling well. And I think we know why. Yeah, they have a, They probably have just their, you know, half of their offices are just filled with boxes of portal devices. They're like, I might as well give them away to our employees. And who knows? Maybe actually this is when people will start buying stuff like that because they can't go to work. Uh, it's easier to just kind of, you know, buy a portal device and no, that's actually, that's a that's the real plague that we have to stop. It is true. Gabe, thank you for that quick rundown of the Corona related news. I guess on a slightly similar but different note, we've mentioned Amazon licensing out their cashierless store technology where they use cameras in the ceilings to monitor what you're purchasing, what items you pick up and ultimately uh, allow you to check out just by scanning your your i think it's your amazon app they even talked about possibly scanning the palm of your hand to basically confirm your payment but amazon is going to be licensing out this cashierless technology which in given the light of the situation of everything that's going on right now could be beneficial because 
This means you may not have to interact with either one of those self-checkout machines or even uh, a cashier at a grocery store, which could be more sanitary and faster for checking out. So you just scan your credit card or other payment method when you walk in through something that looks something like a subway system with a little turnstile gate. Then you do your shopping, Amazon tracks what items you purchase, and then you can just walk right out and they'll charge your card. So that is coming, we don't know when, but I think it's gonna it's gonna make an impact in the shopping world. And it'll be in different stores, not just Amazon stores, right? That's correct. So they're licensing this out to other stores and shopping experiences uh, that will hopefully impact many more retailers. Apparently they have agreements already in the works. Nice. I imagine we'll see people trying to steal from those uh, when they roll out, but we'll have to wait till then. Moving on, we have some, this is a big thing for me, drone news, finally. And not just any drone news, this is stuff from DJI. So we had our first leak at what is essentially going to be the Mavic Air 2. Now, it's it's not actually going to be called that. So it looks like we've seen the end of the Mavic Airline because once they released the Mavic Mini, you know, this past November, it doesn't really make sense to have a Mavic Air, right? Gabe, what do you think this new drone is going to be called then? So the leaked photos that came out do have the name Mavic on the bottom of the drone, but I'm going to guess they're going to actually call this the Mavic 2, and it will kind of be the standard version with, you know, the Mavic Zoom and the Mavic 2 Pro uh, being at the top, you know, for I think the Mavic 2 Zoom is what, like $1,200, $1,300, Mavic 2 Pro is about $1,400, $1,500, so this could be, you know, under $800, possibly $900, and will be a more affordable version but still offer all of the same capabilities possibly, maybe with a couple, you know, slightly lower resolution, slightly lower bitrate or whatever, but still pretty close to the capabilities of the Mavic 2 Pro and Zoom, but at a cheaper price because it's, you know, now two years later or a year and a half later, and they've had advancements in technologies and can produce the drone for a much cheaper price. What I love about the tech industry is honestly how fast things evolve and move. With this new Mavic drone, I'm imagining consumers are going to get a really amazing product at an incredible value. And it's only gonna allow content creators like YouTubers and other kinds of producers to make even more amazing content. So that's really great in my opinion. Yeah, no no word again on, like I'm guessing $700, $800, but no real word on price. And for release date, I'd say because we're seeing it now, you could probably safely say it will be out within the next two months. All right, thank you, Gabe. Moving on, we have some cell phone related news because of course that is what I am passionate about 5G has been basically deemed safe. There's been a lot of concern about 5G millimeter wave frequencies traveling through the air and the health repercussions or consequences of that. And multiple studies as of right now are determining that there is no scientific evidence of these millimeter wave frequencies causing heating or uh, damage to the human body. So they're deemed safe as of right now. the spectrum falls right below microwaves, and it will be something we're monitoring going forward. In other cell phone related news, there was actually just a recent auction where uh, spectrum frequencies were auctioned off to the major networks in the United States. Carriers essentially are bidding millions and millions of dollars on which frequencies they want to own and operate in different areas. And this is gonna allow them to build out their new 5G networks and hopefully improve coverage across the United States. You know, you mentioned the 5G being safe now, and it was funny because my hometown actually recently, and it's a tiny town of like 25,000 people, 
they passed a bill in their city council that was kind of banning 5G, I think for the time being, or at least limiting its implementation, which is A, funny because it's a very rural area, so I don't know how quick uh, 5G would be implemented anyways, but it does kind of show that, you know, these towns and like smaller places and even sometimes bigger places, people are actually kind of concerned about 5G and its safety, I think. I think to some degree, we don't know enough about long-term impacts, but in the short term from the studies we've done, it appears there are no scientific measurable impacts on the human body right now. So I think we're going to be okay. And honestly, the technologies that 5G is going to be enabling are going to be huge. But I think we'll have to wait and see how it pans out across the United States. Well, well, I heard one theory too, that Russia is actually trying to scare people in America so that they push back against 5G, which will allow Russia to actually get ahead and have 5G implemented sooner. That's a very interesting take on this situation. I kind of believe it. I really think 5G, it just enables so many new technologies with the faster travel rate of data transfer and the lower latency that honestly deploying a robust 5G network could be a huge advantage for uh, more developed countries. So, Well, we'll hear more from you in the future, I think, possibly on that because we'll, I'll, we'll talk about that once we get to go review. But finally, the last thing that we have in quick news, uh, this is big news for Canon fans, for mirrorless shooters Woo! for pretty much anyone who cares about camera news canon eos r5 is this camera you know if you're plotting out what 2020 look like it's this peak right now in the future that we're all looking towards we know that canon's going to release it sometime this summer and we know it's going to have 8k video they just confirmed now that it will in fact record 8k video at 30 frames a second internal a lot of people have been like oh we'll, we'll only have 8k time lapse recording or you know like what's you know, didn't really believe Canon saying it will have 8K video. So they did come out and again confirm 8K video is for real in this camera. We don't know if that will be, you know, raw or what color space or the bit rate it will be. But yeah, impressive full frame camera with 8K internal. Again, I would stress that a lot of sites are saying this will only cost like $3,500 to $4,000 and be competing against the Nikon Z7 or the Sony A7R3 or A7R4, sorry. However, I think this will be a lot closer to and above like the Panasonic S1H, which is $4,000, and that's their 6K-capable mirrorless camera. That's probably the price range we're going to look at for the Canon EOS R5. I agree with that, Gabe. Canon is known for having higher prices on their cameras and gear in general, reserving the lower price points for more budget options. I think the EOS R5 is targeting higher-level consumers, hopefully able to afford a higher price point. And with the features this camera is promising as of right now, with 8K 30 frames per second video using the entire sensor and advanced animal tracking autofocus, this is going to be one expensive camera. I'm looking forward to getting more details confirmed and learning uh, more about the release date too. I could also see them pulling a Panasonic and doing like a, all right, you can buy this for maybe say 4500 but to get the 8K recording in those advanced capabilities, you have to buy like a $500 extra firmware like add-on package update thing. I think that would be really smart. That would basically open up this camera to many more people and then allow the people who need the 8K to spend a little bit extra to get that. I think that's smart. Well, that we'll have to see in the future if they're going to do the smart thing or the dumb thing. But that is it for quick news. Moving on, what do we have next, Setson? 
Gabe, we have our new segment, our go review segment, where one of us challenges the other person to go out into the world and pick a product or a service or an item, something along those lines to go and review it. Last week, I asked, or two weeks ago, rather, I asked you to review the Insta360 One R, a new action camera from Insta360. So Gabe, what are your thoughts on this camera? What do you have to share with us from your go review experience? All right, thank you, Stetson. Uh, first off, I just wanna tell people what this camera is if they're not familiar with it. The Insta360 One R is a special action camera, 360 camera, because it is actually modular. So it's kind of like if you could imagine Lego making a camera that you know could kind of pop apart, have a battery part, have a you know a brain set slash screen part, and then have a lens part, and you could pull that apart, say, I want the 360 lens, put that in, snap it all back together, and then have a 360 camera and then say, oh, I want the one inch sensor thing or oh, I want a bigger battery, snap it all apart, put it back together. Yeah, so it's a right off the bat, an interesting design and, you know, a new approach that we haven't really seen maybe only a couple times in like cell phones. But it was always those Kickstarters that never really went anywhere. But like people were like, oh, my God, this is the, you know, the, the modular phone of the future, right? Right, right. I remember those. I think it was Project Aura, I want to say it was. For Google, right? Yeah, yeah. and this the idea was a modular smartphone where you'd have different components that would snap into a main frame. It sounds like Insta360 has pulled this off with their 1R. Gabe, how has your experience been using this Lego-like construction of an action camera? Is it structurally sound? Does it work? Is the flexibility nice? What are your thoughts? So I have used action cameras for a while. I haven't used many 360 cameras. So first off, starting because this does include a 4K action camera part, you know, that basically is like a for, you know, $300, you can get this as just an action camera. It looks it looks like a GoPro, right? It's like, yeah, it's like a GoPro knockoff at that point. And I would say if anyone was thinking about buying this, you know, $300 being, oh, I'll save $100 off the GoPro 8. Please do not do that because this goes back to maybe the quality of like the GoPro 5, maybe even the GoPro 4. Like it is really bad quality. It has the same specs as the GoPro and stuff, so it can trick you into thinking that. But besides just being, you know, not that good quality, the screen is a lot smaller than that of the GoPro or the DJI Osmo Action. And the the thing on top of like the icing on top of the cake of why this is so bad as just an action camera is that they use a specialized uh, and a unique INVS video file format, which is for when you're shooting 360 video, it makes sense because it's using two different lenses. You know, you have to put it into their own special app, combine it, you can do some cool editing, and then you export it as an MP4 file. But the problem is it doesn't switch over to just recording as an MP4 when you use that 4K lens module. So all the files that you import to your computer, you can't just simply drop into Final Cut Pro, into Premiere, to iMovie or whatever. You have to pull first into this Insta360 Studio app convert them all over to uh, MP4 file, and then you can finally work with them. I'm very surprised to hear that, Gabe. This is such a new camera from Insta360 that I would have expected a much smoother workflow, but it sounds like it has lower quality than the GoPro, and it adds extra steps for the editing process. So as an action cam, you're recommending spend the extra $100, get the GoPro Hero 8. Or, or even just get the GoPro like Hero 7. That starts for $329 new, sometimes even $300. Go, even the Hero 6, you know, go with an older GoPro versus going with this if you just are looking for, you know, your standard action camera. Right. Now, this is the big but. But 
I like big butts and I cannot lie. Anyways, <laughs> if <laughs> you, you are Gabe. looking, yeah, if you are looking for a 360 action camera, I think that Insta 360 is probably the best out there. I would, you know, GoPro 8, their Hero 8 uh, Max, which is a 360 camera, is very good. I've seen footage from it. I haven't actually used it, unfortunately. I can only afford so many GoPros and action cameras, but I would argue that's probably their closest competitor and maybe the one you'd look at alternatively to an Insta360 camera. But if you're looking to get into 360 video, this is probably your camera to go with because it does for $479, their twin edition bundle, you get that 4K action camera module, which I mentioned was complete trash. Uh, but if you want to, you know, if you still want to have the capability to film like regular action camera type video, you can do that. But then you can slowly start to switch over to the 5.3K uh, 360 dual lens module, which, as I mentioned, I have not had much experience filming 4K, I mean, 360 videos and editing them. But I recently went out tubing with my sister and her boyfriend, and we were doing some like fun tubing. And then I, you know, I let the footage sit a while on my computer. And then I was finally like, hey, let me start editing this. And the thing that is so awesome in today's world where you have, you know, vertical video, horizontal video, square square video formats, which if you ever tried to shoot something and then be like, all right, now I have to re-edit this for vertical, which means I have to crop in a ton and lose all the, you know, it's just awful. With 360 video, you essentially can just crop things however you want in post because you've captured everything when you are out shooting. So, you know, say you want to, sh- to you know, crop something and, and do an edit that's 2.35 video. You can do that and you can change your, you know, you essentially change your lens focal length in post by choosing how much of the frame you're, you know, cropping out, cropping in, you're warping. And yeah, it's it's really fun to mess around with. And you can, you know, in post, you can, you know, pan from one part of the frame to the other. And that is what I would say is the real advantage that 360 video offers is that ability in post, you know, to go in and just edit whatever you want. Plus, you can use it on a selfie stick and it essentially makes it look like the camera's floating in midair because I, it, it I cancels out videos. the selfie stick. Yeah. Yeah, I saw your videos, Gabe, and I was very impressed with the auto magic deletion of that selfie stick. I thought it did a phenomenal job. I couldn't tell it was there. The stick looked invisible. I was just a camera floating in the air following you as you were tubing. And it looked like you even taped this camera to your boot or something. That was such a cool shot. So I thought that was amazing as a viewer, and it sounds like it was pretty easy for you, the creator, to achieve that effect. It's really, at this point, uh, you know, I think I've been using GoPros for a while. I've been using drones for a while. Both of those have kind of reached a point where it seems like pretty much everything has been done with them. You know, there's slight improvements here or there, but they've kind of reached this point where it's kind of like smartphones where it's like, eh, you know, nominal specs increase or whatever, but everything's, you know, they're getting kind of boring. 360 cameras, I think, for the next decade are going to be what drones and action cameras and gimbals offered in this past decade. Interesting. That's, that's an interesting that's, take. That's my prediction, I'll just say. So, you know, if you want to be on the cutting edge of what new is happening in video and using this as a new way to tell stories and a new way to film stuff, I would say that 360 cameras are where it's at. And for the price, potentially the Insta360 One R makes a lot of sense. The caveat is... I think they are going to release an Insta360 One X Mark II or whatever you'd call it, but a follow-up to their current Insta360 One X, which would be their more, like, this is their dedicated 360 camera. So if you really are looking to get into it, 
maybe wait for that because that will probably be a little more refined. But yeah, I've had a lot of fun with this camera. And, you know, check check out on my YouTube channel. I should hopefully have an edit up on there with some of the footage. If not, uh, on my Instagram and my TikTok, I have stuff. So it's, yeah, I, I would just say my my ending thing would be if you're looking for something new to spice up your videos, offer like a new workflow, a new way to edit, a new way to shoot, this is a really, really cool thing. It sounds like it's basically in the name. It's the Insta360 1R. So you, you basically want to get this camera for that 360 effect. Gabe, thank you so much for your Go review. Last time I assigned this to you, do you have a product, service, or idea for me to go out and review for these uh, next two yes, weeks here? Yes, I do. As I hinted at earlier, you were mentioning and talking about 5G, how you think it's all so great. I want you to review 5G and give us an honest review of it. And more importantly, I want you to talk to people uh, who, you know, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your friends, maybe you put a poll on Twitter, ask your Facebook friends or whatever. But I want you to get some feedback from regular people because personally, I think that 5G is a bit overblown and most people would just rather have better coverage or something like that versus like really improved faster speeds. So I, that's what that's what I want you to go review. Thank you for that assignment. Conveniently, I have spent, I think, almost $400 on cell service signing up for Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile to test out their 5G coverage on my Galaxy S20. So definitely, definitely you have to include the cost to benefits. I will in include future. everything. I'm excited to honestly test this out for myself. And audience, stay tuned for our episode in the next two weeks where we come back and I'll talk about that. Gabe, I think it's time to dive in to the debate, the topic of the century, decade, era, eon of today. Take our, take our places at the podiums on the stage. On the stage, in the boxing ring. All right, clothes yeah. are coming off. I'm shedding this. Here we go. In, in, my, in my corner, fighting for full frame cameras. You know. And in my corner, we're fighting for APSC size sensors. I think we should we should get this boxing match started. Gabe, where so, do you want to start with this playing I, field? Well, I, I think we have to start off by giving people some context of what it is, right? I think that's a great idea. What, so, do, we, what do we have? So what we're talking about here with APS-C versus full frame is we're talking about the size of the digital sensor that's in your camera, which, you know, it replaces up until a certain point this was film that would hit, the light would hit. Now it's all digital. So this is what when you take a picture... This is on a DSLR, what's getting exposed when the mirror flips up for, you know, a third of a second or however long the light's hitting that sensor. It's translating that into what you see in the final image. And yeah, that's it's essentially the eye of your camera. It's taking light data and turning it into an image. And the different sizes are how big these sensors are. We have full exactly. frame which is the largest, but there are some larger ones, but full frame is typically what you see as the larger size. APS-C is smaller than full frame. It's like a middle middle baby. And the smallest one is micro four thirds. And of course- well, in your not, not the smallest one. Well, in, in your smartphones and the action camera, like the Insta360, that's where we have smaller sensors that uh, aren't really for pro photography. So I think- they're less part of this debate and topic right now, but you can see the range of sensor sizes in the different yeah, devices. Yeah, the, the, the common the common things, you, you common sensor sizes, pretty much, yeah, full frame, APS-C, which can range a bit depending on the company, 
Micro Four Thirds, which is popular, Panasonic, and I think who else uses them? Not sure. They're they made it an open standard. Panasonic and Olympus uses them too. Yeah, but it's an open standard. Uh, and then you have the one inch sensors, and that pretty much once you get below the one inch sensors, which ironically one inch sensors aren't one inch big. That's really the stupidest thing. That's very misleading. It's it's that they use a they cast a one inch. I think it's they use a one inch circle in the lens. I don't know. There's something really weird. But yeah, basically once you get below an inch, it stops really being professional cameras. So we're focusing on everything up to uh, full frame. Which by the way, full frame is the size of 35 millimeter film. That's the key that's thing. where it got the name. Yeah, for using the full frame. So I think did we explain that pretty well? Hopefully. I think so. I think we covered the different sensor maybe, sizes. Maybe, maybe the only thing uh, to, else to put out there is if you want to get a better idea of this, you can Google digital camera sensor sizes, and they have some good charts like showing them overlaid on each other, each sensor size. So you can really see the comparison of, oh, you know, like AP, APS-C, I was surprised, is almost looks like half the size of a full-frame sensor. It's like if you were comparing TV sizes, you could easily see the different sensor sizes overlaid on top of each other, how they compare. So with yep. these different sizes, Gabe, I would imagine there would be advantages and disadvantages to each one. I well, think no, there isn't. There's pretty much just advantages to full frame. Really? Gabe, you sound and very that's the, confident. that's the end of the debate. Gabe is just starting to walk off the arena. Well, Gabe, get back here. I want you to pitch me. What What are the advantages to full frame? What caused you to get me to switch to full frame when I was previously shooting on Canon's 70D APS-C sized camera? So I will preface this, even though this is a debate, I will say, stepping out from my debate role for a moment, I will say full frame is more expensive. You know, if you're getting a first camera, don't think you have to get full frame, okay? Now, stepping I, back I will in. Be, I will be bringing those up as I stepping, get my okay, punches yeah, so ready. Why am, I even, why am I even bothering to help you? You're just, just stepping balanced, back into my dude. role. Full frame is offering you the best camera experience. You know, this is why 35 millimeter film was the size it was. If you're shrinking down the size that light hits, it gets hard to really see what you're looking at. Imagine you you're like have your head covered in a plastic bag, or well, maybe not plastic bag. Yeah, don't do that. Bag. That's a choking hazard. Or if you have a mask on and the eye holes are only little pokes in them with like a a pin, right? Imagine looking through that and trying to see the world. It's awful. It's hard to see it. You know, you can barely like really get a good idea of what it is. Or if you know you you only have your eye open like a a little sliver, but if you open up your eye more. You can see the world better. You let more light in. That's what a full-frame camera is compared to APS-C. Getting more information, more light. As a result, you're getting a better image. Color quality is improved. Dynamic range is improved. The low light uh, quality and lack of grain is you know, greatly increased. So there's no reason why you wouldn't shoot with a full-frame camera. Gabe, I respectfully disagree. For that bright blinding light experience that you're talking about you're paying significantly more out of pocket Yeah, quality isn't cheap sorry it's expensive and i think starting with aps-c or even micro th four thirds is a better option for a lot of people so taking a look at the camera i ended up purchasing sony a7 III, two thousand dollars body only only looking for an aps-c sized equivalent we're looking at the sony a6600 $1,200. That is $800 in savings right there. And if you kit these out, you're looking at $2,500 for the A6600 with a 16 to 55 millimeter lens or $3,400. Now, 
$900 more for the A7 III with the 24 to 105. Well, you know what? I would say, how do you offset the cost, right? Well, funny enough, you offset the cost with more benefits. That's right. No, Not only is offset, it cheaper. You offset the cost by making money. That's how you pay for the more expensive camera. And guess what? A lot of people won't hire people who don't have a full frame camera. I agree a little bit. This is kind of stupid, those people. So sorry if that's you. But, you know, the fact that people will look at your tech and go, oh, I'll hire you. Or I won't. That's just the fact of, you know, the camera industry, the drone industry, really any industry you work in. So if you show up for, you know, if someone gets sends you an email, oh, hey, I'm uh, looking at hiring your photography services. I really like your work. Uh, do you know, do you shoot on a full frame camera and you can't go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm shooting on the 5D Mark IV. I'm shooting on the Sony blah, 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 blah. If you say, oh, no, I'm only shooting on a crop sensor, they might go, yeah, uh, slow your road, bucko. Um, I'm going to go find someone else. I respectfully disagree. Take the GH5, for example. This shoots internally at 422 10-bit, which we've talked about in previous episodes. This color codec provides significantly more detail than what my Sony a7 III is able to offer. I think the a7 III, it only records 4K at up to 100 megabytes per second. The GH5 can go up to 400 megabytes per second while recording 4K. Despite having a smaller sensor, it's actually capturing and recording four times more data while it's shooting video. More, but more data from less light and less stuff coming in. So it's making up data, isn't it? No, you can get yes, lenses. Yes, it is. No. <laughs> that's, the, that's the correct answer. Well, you can get lenses that allow much more light to come in. And here's the other thing too. When you're switching from full frame to APS-C, if you're looking at those differences, a full frame lens is designed for a full frame sensor. So all of the light spills onto that sensor and is focused on the sensor. With APS-C or micro four thirds, you can get lenses specifically designed for those sensor sizes that target and focus the light much better delivering, in my opinion, extremely similar performance. And with the extra color data, I think you get an overall better image. Well, you know what I think is a great example to disprove that is how it's not all about specs when it comes to video and, oh yeah, you can have a smaller sensor so you can have better specs. What new phone just came out that had really good specs, but really small sensor? Oh, was that the Samsung S20, wasn't that? Yeah, that had 8K video quality. And that, wow, 8K video, that sounds really good. I should get rid of my all my cameras. Oh, but wait, that has a really small sensor, doesn't that? Yeah, that has a super small sensor. So, I mean, and that can't, that's good video quality though, right, Setson? I mean, I don't know what to say to this game. You basically <laughs> have me, you have me pinned down or going in yeah. for the KO right a new, now. This was a new tactical maneuver here. <laughs> I, I mean, the 8K out of the Galaxy S20, which has a super small sensor, looks like hot garbage. I think, though, with APS-C, I think the difference is much less noticeable when you're actually looking at cameras. And I also think there are added benefits to going with APS-C. Because what Samsung is able to do and what all these APS-C manufacturers are able to do is build in image stabilization. 
you get IBIS, in-body image stabilization. I mean, all f- okay, well, hold on. All full-frame cameras have IBIS. Not all full-frame. Well, but Plus, not all all not all APS-C have IBIS either, so let's... Well, they can more easily integrate it into their cameras, and the cameras are much more... They're much smaller, more portable, and lighter, and not only is the body cheaper, but the lenses are cheaper too. So you can instantly get high-quality video at a significantly reduced cost and get the premium features of IBIS, image stabilization, image stabilized lenses. And I think I just the value proposition of APS-C, in my opinion, is superior to full frame. You know, I think if I'm going to carry around a camera, I think the, you know, the weight savings between, you know, an A6600 versus an A7 III or, you know, for example, a Canon, you know, 5D Mark IV versus a Canon 90D, weight savings isn't that big of a deal, especially once you add a lens there. So what I'd rather, you know, I'm not, I'm going to carry around a camera anyways. I'd rather have a big differentiation between my smartphone and the camera by, for example, having a bigger sensor than, you know, being like, oh, I saved a little weight, but I'm also not getting as good of quality. I think you're really stretching the difference between the APS-C in a smartphone and a full frame in a smartphone. Like, Compare your smartphone to an APS-C camera, the image quality is still going to be night and day, and it's going to be at a lighter weight than a full-frame camera. The glass, the lenses, so much smaller. Take a look at Fujifilm's new X-T4. The lenses on that camera are so small, so tight, so compact. It is one of the best travel cameras coming out right now. Arguably, you know, I would say the best camera... Uh, out there for traveling is a full frame camera because what is something that you can't do when you're traveling and you know you can't do when you don't have all your lights with you and stuff is yeah you don't have control over that lighting and you know you don't have time to set up the shot so what do you need you need the camera that you know if you have to crank up for example the a7s3 if you need to crank it up to 400,000 iso you can do that and yeah, the cam- the image might look a little grainy, but I'd say it gets artistic it. at that point. Well, at least you can do it. If you had to do that on a you know a, a tiny little ASP P- APS-C camera, you'd be looking at something that you couldn't tell you know someone's hand from. I don't know what, but yeah, it would just be complete grain. This at least is only a slight grain, and if you're gonna just put it on Instagram, it'd be perfectly fine on that size. So. I think that the camera that you need to have when you're traveling and when you're in an unpredictable scenario is, you know, a full-frame camera. Well, I think the stabilization of APS-C cameras can help compensate for that. But, Gabe, what's the other thing you want to do while traveling? You're going to an exotic place. You have these beautiful landscapes. Everything is far away. And, oh, what's that? You want to zoom in on a certain item, subject in the frame, APS-C cameras are perfect for this. Why? Because of something called crop factor. Now, technically, nothing is really being cropped out. The sensor is smaller and therefore just has a smaller field of view. But when you put your lenses on an APS-C sized camera, it'll effectively make the lenses 1.5 times what it says on the actual lens. So it'll help you zoom in to that subject that's farther away and it's called get the walking shot. in, all right? You can walk in a little closer. Sometimes you get can get some though. exercise, you know, get some, you know, get some more steps in. Your nice your full frame camera that also weighs a little bit more too. So, gives you a nice good arm workout and when you're doing video, keeps it more steady. 
So, okay, well, what if you're shooting wildlife? You, you don't want to spook the animals, right? You're just going to like... If you're shooting wildlife, that koala is going to be like, oh, oh, mate, he has a nice full-frame camera. Oh, I better stay steady so he can get nice and close. <laughs> He'll walk right? towards and you. Wildlife recognizes the quality of a full-frame camera. So, Gabe, okay, so, when, you're, when you're out in New Hampshire taking a picture of a wild moose, yep, you just yep. want to go charging towards it with your full-frame camera out. Ready? The, the game is rec- going to recognize game. That moose is going to say... He might start to run, but then he'll, as I get closer, he'll be like, wait a second. I thought that was an A6600, but now I see. Yeah, wait, that's, wait. that's a nice. Is that the seven A7S Mark III? No, no. It's all, he's going to know. That, see, Moose are probably going to know that that's not the A7S Mark III because that camera's not out. And they listen to our podcast and keep up to all the daily news. But they will know, oh, that's, you know, the A7 III, that's the A7 IV, or A7R4. You know, they're going to know that that's a full frame camera instantly. I think with wildlife photography, the benefits of being farther away are undeniable with APS-C. That's why you're coming up with this charging towards your right, subject. Okay, I'll give you, I'll give you that. I don't have any defense there, but I will say that you'll get better pictures, you know, with a full frame camera, and as a result, you can get uh, the ability to afford longer lenses. So you can easily just get a, you know, a teleconverter and get a better lens uh, on there that gets you 600 reach. Uh, 600 millimeter reach and then yeah same thing boom i guess to your credit on the a7 III you can punch in it does have an APS-C mode built in yep so but, you can you can easily just do that and on the a7 r4 which is uh 64 megapixels 61 megapixels APS-C mode is still i think like 40 megapixels so that brings up a good counterpoint though for many other cameras the APS-C sensor is still going to be that really nice high resolution sensor and with that tighter zoom, you're basically getting much greater zoom at higher resolution. But you know what you get with a higher resolution, smaller sensor, right? What do you get? Smaller pixels. This is also true. Are you smaller bringing back your... Smaller pixels are like the boogeyman of photography, I think. They are creeping on the edges, always, always saying, oh, yeah, go for that you know, camera that gets super high resolution. Uh, you know, because basically camera companies have to strike a fine line between how many sensors do we pack, how many pixels, sorry, do we pack into the sensor? You know, sure, we can put 96 pixels on there, but then this thing won't shoot at anything over, you know, 3200 ISO, right? So they have to find the good balance. And I think it's a lot easier to find that balance, giving you a nice high ISO, while also a good high uh, amount of megapixels on a full frame camera than it is on an APS-C camera, because you just have a lot smaller you know, less real estate to deal with. It's true. It's true. Full frame does perform. Right, so, admirably so I'll well. give you, the, I'll give you the wildlife thing, but you'll give me the, I'll give you the low light performance. Low I mean, light. it's true. Like take the a seven two, for example, I'm basically taking your spot. Get out of this boxing. I'm boxing right, myself right now. So we're the, switching sides now. The a seven, the a seven, he just grabbed, he just grabbed my Jersey and ripped it off and put it on. <laughs> the a seven two is only a 12 megapixel full frame camera a7s2 you're talking about excuse Sorry. me thank you for the correction gabe this camera yeah. can basically see in the dark the low light capabilities are truly phenomenal despite the lower megapixel count it on the full frame sensor it just exceeds low light expectations and capabilities and it's true APS-C just can't do that i will say for APS-C though i think the portability the utility for travel being able to zoom in on things and honestly for vlogging Casey Neistat, David Dobrik, and many other YouTubers are using basic, simple APS-C, Canon 70D, 80D, 90D cameras 
to create amazing content, travel the world, and share it with a rapidly growing audience. So I think that just shows the versatility and utility of APS-C cameras in a fast-paced YouTube creative space. I think they're doing amazing things and they clearly don't need full-frame cameras. All right, I think I think we've we've gone deep enough debating-wise or we can just end it and give it a wrap-up where we take off our jerseys, we come together, we give the listeners the kind of summary. I, I do agree with that, that yes, uh, you know, I think it's very much now, you know, if, if you need a lighter camera, that's only that what you can afford or that's more portable. APS-C is the way to go in a lot of ways. And I also, but I think it's also, we're, we're predominantly focused on video, right? Both of us. Absolutely. I mean, so, for so I think for, yeah. for, for photography, I think, it, I don't know. I was trying to think about this. I do know that, like you said, for wildlife stuff, sometimes people do prefer APS-C cameras. I have a friend who travels a lot. She actually carries both an APS-C body and a full-frame camera body because <laughs> that that some, mitigates the benefits of both. <laughs> it it kind of does, but it's it's more like when she goes to a hotel, yeah, she brings both. But then when she goes out for day trips, if she's doing like a lot more crazy expeditions or hiking, she'll do the smaller body. If she's doing wildlife stuff too, so I think for photography, though, you know, ignoring that, I think a full-frame camera is a lot more important, especially for like portraiture work where you do want that shallow depth of field. Well, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is for shallow depth of field, it is often easier to get a more shallow depth of field with full frame cameras because you're getting a typically a larger entrance pupil. The lenses are larger, the sensor is larger, and you can be closer to your subject because you have a wider field of view. But it is possible to replicate or get very similar results with APS-C cameras. You're just going to have to swap out lenses, get a faster aperture, and readjust your position. So, but I think really, like my advice would be to write down what qualities and attributes are most beneficial to you in a camera. If you're someone who's going to be shooting a lot of wildlife, I think getting an APS-C camera makes sense for that kind of use case. If you're going doing portraiture or low light photography, I think you're going to enjoy the benefits of full frame. And I think if you're someone who's shooting video, you may just want to take a look at the cameras that meet your video specific needs, whether if it's shooting in a flat color profile or for me getting a flip out screen, it turns out is very helpful for me. So I want a camera that has that. But yeah, I think- now, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested in because you are thinking of you mentioned, I think, the X-T4, right? Yeah. So right basically, I, I came to realize Gabe got me to switch to the a7 III and many YouTubers claimed it was one of the best cameras out and it, it is, but it's the best camera for their use cases. And I realized my use case is different. I really need the flip out screen. Like that is a huge benefit for me. And I really enjoy the, the light portable form factor that APS-C is offered. So I was actually like browsing around. And again, with these prices being so much cheaper, I was interested and intrigued by the GH5, the Sony a6600, and the X-T4 with all the features it offered. So I did place a pre-order for the Fujifilm X-T4, and I'm interested to see how that compares. Um, but yeah, what was your question? What, what I was going to say was, I think it's going to be interesting to see your what you think about it, but it's it's really, because my, okay, because I was going from my experience, basically. If I went from Canon T4i, right, that, and then I had that for probably about, two three years right so and that was probably about a year old camera when i got it anyways and then i went to the sony a7s2 which was a full frame camera costing i think 
four times the price. Like it was the T4 I was about 800 600 800 bucks I think and the you know the T uh, A7S2 was 3200. So yeah, four times the price wow. and it was brand new like 3 4 months old when I got it. And so I think I think this is a route that a lot of people take though when they you know they start off with an AS APS-C camera, they have it for a couple of years, start to grow their business, start to grow their experience, then upgrade to full frame. And the problem is their experience is going from a, a older camera, cheaper camera to a newer camera, more expensive camera, full frame. And so their their you know their opinions kind of jaded, I feel like. You know, looking back and reflecting on myself, I feel like it wasn't a fair shake for me. You know, I didn't go out at the same time and buy two cameras that were close to the same price point. One was APS-C, one was full frame and try them out. I was, you know, doing the path I took and that made me go, oh, full frame is way, time, way, 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 way better. Why would I ever go back? Right, right. It sounds like the generational differences in the overall technology had a huge impact. Like 4K basically and, and wasn't price. out. Yeah, 4K wasn't out when you were shooting on your T4i and, and then all of a sudden you made this huge leap into the future of... It, it would be like if you went from, you know, like the S- Samsung S6 to the iPhone 11, right? I would say like a Pro. Galaxy S3. Go far not. Maybe not that far. No, but- like let's go, let's go like the S6 to the iPhone 11 Pro and you were like, Android is horrible. Why would I ever go back to Android? Apple is obviously the way to go. Or if the opposite, if you went from, you know, iPhone 5 to, you know, the new S10 or S20 now we're on, and you're like, wow, why would I ever use an iPhone again? So I think it's kind of the same thing. And I don't think also you're going from the A7 III now possibly to the X-T4. It's a little better comparison, but I still feel like you'd have to go with a newer full-frame camera to really get a good good comparison. I think the A7 III is pretty new. I think maybe going with the A6600. Buddy, it's buddy, it's two years old. Jeez, is it actually? Have I had it for that yeah. long? Wow. It's amazing how quickly it aged. Yeah, but I think you'd have to go with something like the A7R4, possibly, even though that's a lot more expensive. Maybe something like the Nikon Z6 or Z7. I don't know. To try and get a more fair comparison. Just to try to give it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's hard because like a full frame camera is always going to be more. So to really get a good comparison, you have to go with like a, a full frame camera that's fits in the scale of where how expensive full frame cameras are. So right. If, if full frame cameras, what? Can we agree like 1500 to 4000 is a price range? I would probably start it actually at 2000 because I paid okay, so, pay 2000 for the A7 III and I think it's around that right now. So two to 4000, what about APS-C cameras? I think it's okay to start. I mean, for some of the point and shoots, that's like 800 bucks. Like no, not point and shoot. We're talking DSLR mirrorless. Yeah, I think yeah. Probably like 750 though. That still could be yeah. around $800. But I think if you want to get a nicer one, you're looking at t- probably 1200 for the body, something like that. Well, but but total price range is probably like what eight hundred to two thousand, eight hundred to twenty four hundred. Yeah, eight hundred. I think twenty four hundred. You're getting a really nice body, and you're getting a really nice piece of glass. Yeah. So, but exactly. So, if you wanted to get like comparable ones, you'd have to go, you know, maybe like twelve hundred. That's you know, like kind of in the mid range uh, camera, and then you'd have to go like, you know, three thousand almost or twenty eight hundred for the full frame. I think comparable. I mean. I was specking out an A6600 versus an A7 III. That was just what I was using. And I was getting around yep. 2500 for the A6600 and 3400 for the A7 III with pretty comparable specs. But the, A- the problem is the A7 III is older, though. Sure. So it might be a little bit more. It might be 3600 or 3800 when you kit it all out and compare them, I think. 
What do you mean? Oh, when you got a new, brand new one, or if you went with the, I think you said the A seven R three or something R, like R, well, the A seven R four, A seven R four. Yeah, if you went with that, yeah. I think it'd be even more expensive. Well, that that one starts at thirty five hundred. So oh, geez, it'd be like forty five hundred. Yeah. Yes, but I think that would be a more accurate comparison, though, because they have, as far as like technology within it, they have the same, you know, uh, software for autofocus and stuff. They have the same processors. You know, it's it's designed at the same time. So the only thing you're really comparing is that sensor difference. I appreciate that. I think that's a, a good insight into this. And one thing I do wish is that camera manufacturers updated their software more regularly. I think something interesting is the X-T3 is using the same sensor and processor as the new X-T4 but the X-T4 yep. can shoot at 4K 60 frames per second, whereas the X-T3 is limited to 4K 30 frames per second. Theoretically, I think a software update using the same hardware should be able to enable those additional capabilities in the X-T3, but it looks like for some reason it may be disabled. Yes, yes, yes no, maybe so. I'm not really sure exactly what it uh, w- would entail, but it, it does seem on paper like it should be able to, and, though and you're I'll, right that, that they companies traditionally don't want to offer that update because why would they offer you an update if you can you know be sold a new camera i also want to say the what's appealing to me is i need i look at myself when filming in my studio and that's important to me and the a7 III will not use continuous eye detect autofocus when it's plugged into an external monitor which is what i need to see myself the a6600 can now do that so that is just like well, but but that's a newer that's that brings up my point of it being yeah, a new camera. Though. I think that reinforces your point. And the last thing yes. I want to mention is that we didn't really talk about lenses so much, but I think like for there are some incredible new lenses for full frame cameras. I want to give a shout out actually to Canon's new EOS R series. Like the lenses they are making there are really nice. But on the flip very side, very limited, unfortunately. Very but. limited, but very nice. On the flip side, with smaller sensors, APS-C and Micro Four Thirds, the lens selection just becomes so much greater because you can adapt and get full-frame glass on your smaller sensor size if you choose. Uh, well, I would say that's that's. I mean, that's something you can do, but it p- potentially isn't really taking advantage of the big thing with, uh, you know, the smaller AS APS-C. I don't know why I keep wanting to switch those letters. <laughs> APS-C. Uh, sensors that you can get glass that offers the same capabilities of you know a full frame uh, f1 f1.4 you know lens but it can it can be f1.2 f1.1 even and be smaller it's true it's it's really cool either way i think that's all i have and my recommendation is again figure out what needs you have either for photography or videography and then find the camera to fit your specific needs I personally feel that if I had done that, I may have gone with a different option than the a7 III um, because I'm realizing now that some of the aspects of it are, instead of enhancing my workflow, causing slight quirks or bottlenecks that I would appreciate if I could find a way to get around them. And that's what's causing me to look at new alternative cameras. That Yeah, I mean, I wish you good luck if you do switch to the Fuji X-T4. I would probably never switch from full frame, at least at this point. And also the other thing you need luck with is switching operating systems on a camera is is you're going to be good luck. You're going to be up, uh, you know, up a creek without a paddle for the first, probably I'd say month. That's kind of how it goes. 
but it, it's it's amazing how quickly then once you get used to that that's what you know it's true and i think we live in such an exciting time where basically all cameras coming out now are amazing packed with features packed with incredible performance except for the canon ivy rec mini except, except for the canon ivy rec thank you gabe you know i was thinking we hadn't brought that up in a couple of episodes it was good to just know that's that is our we have our checklist of like things we have to trash the facebook portal and the ivy rec mini yeah they hadn't been trashed in a while so we got them both in in this episode we get a bonus and uh i think that's it i think we're both winners in that sense we hit all our check boxes we put up a good yeah. fight and we ended as friends i think that's gonna wrap up this episode yeah stay healthy people don't get the coronavirus stay home possibly i might be doing some gaming i know i don't i sold my xbox one i might be having to get back into it though it may be time to get back into that. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pinch to Zoom podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Pinch to Zoom Pod, on Instagram at Pinch to Zoom Podcast, and you can email us, Pinch to Zoom Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Stetson. And wait, should we be on Twitch now too, though? Oh my gosh, Twitch is going to be blowing up given all the time people have right now. Yes. We'll have to think about be that. be on it at No, we won't. Company meeting after this podcast. All right. Wait, did you say that your name was Gabe and we can leave now? Or Nope, my name's now twitch.gabe.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you in the next episode. Do you brush your teeth before you film videos? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to say, I'm like, I have to. 3 p.m., I'm going to film a video. Oh, got to go brush my teeth.